0: on deck debating whether we want to change it from season two to season three i think we're just going to keep it straight keep it season two we're going to be rolling into a brand new year big big guests big guests on deck today ryan Rossillo of the ringer joins me for a jam-packed show i mean with the equal balance in due time i wanted to make this very nfl heavy obviously my favorite week of the damn year is coming up Saturday and Sunday of NFL wildcard weekend, you will catch me like a thousand pigeons littering your feed every five seconds. So I wanted to kick off the week with a great show. So me and Ryan Rosillo, we talk a lot about the previews for this NFL weekend, a lot of NFC talk. I, we kind of just, you know, the, the AFC it speaks for itself. And I think that we can save some of that for later in the weekend. I don't want to get too in depth on previewing these games because the AFC is just the powerhouse in the NFL right now. But we do get to a lot of the NFC teams, what's right and what's wrong about the Saints, about Seattle, about Tom Brady's capability in primetime games. We talk about that upcoming matchup with the young and Chase Young. Is he capable of taking down Tom Brady as easily as he says he is? And then on the flip side of things, We get into a deep, heavy, heated conversation about the Boston Celtics to me. And I've been saying this for those of you who have listened to the show the last couple of shows. I mean, I had I had Kevin O'Connor on to preview some NBA stuff because to me, I'm still knee deep in this NFL season. All of my eyes are glued. I'll focus on the NBA after after football season's over. After the Super Bowl. That's when I'm going to turn my attention. So uh, we kind of preview some of the big headlines for the NBA currently and then just get into a heated battle about Danny Ainge and the Celtics and this current team. And uh, it's pretty exciting for those of you who love basketball. So jam-packed show, I won't waste any more of your time. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Russillo. We're kicking off 2021 with a bang, and with a bang, I introduce to you my good friend Ryan Rossello from The Ringer, formerly of ESPN. What's up, my guy? How, you How are you? I'm good. How you? You're you're out in Los Angeles right now. I see it's a little overcast. You got that June gloom in the background there. FEMA saying that Los Angeles County is one of the most dangerous places in the country. Do you feel safe? I have to ask. I that. do.
1: I feel safe. Um... I'm not quite sure what to make any of it anymore. I I were I very early on because I knew I didn't have it that bad. I, I just told myself I wasn't going to complain. I, I know that there's a lot of people dealing with it, but I don't, I just don't really know what, like I, every headline now out here is so much worse than the one the day before. I know. And so like, I'll look at some of these numbers and I go, what does that mean? Like, is that real? Like, is this really happening? So I'm not, I'm not disputing any of it. Um, I know that people get in trouble for doing that. I guess, I don't know, but being near the beach, I, I really can't complain about anything. So I'm not going to.
0: The only danger that you're seeing in Manhattan Beach or that area is like, is like the, the jocks at the bar on the, on the what are the what's the bar that's on the beach that everyone goes to in the summer. It's like, it's like the super jock place. Shellbacks. Yeah. What is it? Shellbacks. Sh- yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: So those guys, those guys are awesome though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, the guys that, that run it are, are terrific guys. Uh, I've gotten to know them because that was the place you would always go when you came into town. I mean, the first yeah. time I ever went there, I think was with a buddy of mine who was traded to the LA Kings. And that's always the story for me is the first time I ever came out here was a friend of mine got traded. We were like, Oh, Los Angeles sucks. Like that's the worst. And he's like, yeah, why don't you come out and visit? He's like, my wife is super pissed off about it. And then, we stayed in Venice for a couple of days, and I'm like, "This place is the... and this is like the 2000, 2001 Venice."
0: Oh yeah, so, you, you you got the you got the drug addicts and uh, you know the the guys that are strung out on the beach line and Muscle Beach and I couldn't believe
1: it. I, I'd never been to Los Angeles.
0: Like your brain right. is spinning.
1: So back then, that was way before Venice was cool, and every guy that walks in Abbot Kinney dresses the exact same way now, but. I was like, "This is the worst place." I like this. I can't believe you're playing here. I can't believe you have to live here. I can't believe you have to raise your family here. And then he's like, "Let's go check out this place called Manhattan Beach." And immediately, I was like, "Wait a minute. This is this is completely different." So yeah, we went to Shellbacks that afternoon, and here we are. I finally moved out here because I was I was planning on doing it for a long time. So oh,
2: I love. We're, you're
1: back in uh, Boston full time now.
0: I am back in Boston full time, unfortunately. I mean, there's, there's, it's a gift and a curse. I feel like I'm super focused on my work. I don't socialize with anyone. If I go out, it's once in a blue moon and Greg Hill from the local radio station will drag me out and I'll get berserk on Hanover Street on espresso Martinis and then I'll go home, you know? So, you know, in terms of a social life, I have no social life, but it's made me a lot more focused and tuned into with the sports world, especially just with everything that's going on with the Patriots and working for EI for, um, you know, the six or nine months that I was and then leaving and decided to go off on my own. It's, it's, it's been great. It's been great. It's a great restart. And I just am hoping that I can get back out to LA, but I'm not going to go back out there unless I have a full-time network job, but you know, we're working towards that. So I I mean, the only thing that sucks is that I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm cold, you know, Yeah. I'm cold. Like, why do I need a space heater for everything? It's like East Coast problems for you. It's you know your your conundrum every morning is like, I have to wake up. I have a show. Should I put a shirt on? I, That's you, pretty much
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: You were they, you were debating. You were debating whether or not to put a shirt on before the podcast. Am I right?
1: I didn't know that we were doing video for it, so I definitely yeah. But I I think I've worn slacks as people call them, old people, uh, maybe five times since March. And I know there's a joke in there somewhere, but it's just been basically all shorts the whole time. Like, I don't, I don't, none of us have to do anything. I, you know, I, it's for those that are sitting at home and my job is to wake up, talk about games that I've watched the night before. I mean, it was a weird stretch with no games, but then I just got to work on all the other stuff. So I've tried to make the most of the time, but yeah, I mean, it's a little warmer here. Although I do miss Hanover Street. That's probably Uh once... I was, I was so broke when I lived in Boston that people were like, did you miss it? And I go, well, I didn't really have the greatest time. My apartment sucked. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have any money. I was grinding. I, and then for a couple the last few years, I was driving back and forth to Bristol sometimes three or four days a week. Like I get up. drive. Yeah. I'd, I'd wake up at, I don't know. Well, I would go to bed at like 4am because I'd be driving back from Bristol if I didn't want to get a hotel in Connecticut. And yeah. then I would go play pickup hoops in Watertown and then, By the time I get out of my car, yeah, and like back then you didn't keep your phone with you all the time. So I think I probably had some sort of iPod when I even played basketball. The whole point is like I would get back out of my car in that Watertown area there where the gym was. And then I'd see a missed call from 860 in Connecticut. And then I would just drive back to Bristol and then I do a shift. Come back at 4 a.m., play basketball again, and then it would happen. It would just keep happening over and over again. So whenever anybody's like, Do you miss it? I go, it's not an anti-Boston thing. It's just the fact that I didn't have anything going on other than being decent at pick up basketball. And I get to play in the middle of the day. So, so that was about
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Two two peas in a pod, much of the same. But you grew up in Martha's Vineyard. And I can remember my first interaction with you. This was when I, I just I want to get nostalgic on this. Okay. Now I'm worried. On pod, yeah. Maybe. This was when my mother used to cut out clips from the Boston Globe and like put a little highlighter on it and leave it on my desk. She's like, I found this wonderful article about this guy, (laughs) Ryan Russillo. Look at He got a spot on Scott Van Pelt's show and they did this whole feature on you. And she's like, she's like, this should inspire you. (laughs) I had no idea. It was completely (laughs) unpronted. So I got to say, like, my mother's going to be happy that you're on the show. You know, well, that's
1: very nice. It's very nice of your mother to do that. But I, I remember too, like ESPN took this PR pic of me before then, and I, I look like I'm dying. And I, I said, like, I know I'm not the most photogenic person, but is there any way we could have a different picture in our PR? Like I had I went and took in-house PR photos probably 30 times at ESPN. We have our own studio, it's an Instagram influencers dream. All the different paper backdrops that you can roll down, all this different stuff, yeah. but for whatever reason. I, I think there was someone in PR who didn't like me. They kept putting out this picture of me that's just horrible. So I know that your mother didn't look at that picture and go, hey, this guy's terrific. She liked the story better. So that's what I'm going with. Like, She's not superficial at all. So I appreciate that.
0: I had this headshot when I worked at NBC6 in Miami where I loved it and it was super great. And <laughs> um, I didn't realize I had this beautiful blue dress. My makeup was great. I had green nails like lime green this is not like like key lime green that were semi-chipped how the hell no one told me like court take your baby nails off but like i was like i love this headshot it was like who wants sports this they were like we're not using anywhere close to it. i think they used my building code like it's the same thing with you like they took a picture the first day your hair is all raggedy, like mine is now, and they're like, oh, smile. I think they yeah. do that for like every credential, every screen. Credentials
1: are. Oh, I mean, I started I looking them. terrible on purpose just to see how bad I could make them. And again, I mean, I'm I'm not telling you I'm a ten over here, but some of these pictures, I go, oh my god. Okay, uh, but okay. that that globe one, that globe one was so bad that I I was like, oh great, like local guy makes good, and I, you know, so whatever, you right. figure yeah. it out.
0: Like, you know what? I clearly struck a nerve with you, but um, it's ironic <laughs> because you're so like the only pictures that I see with you on social media are like are like swole, like dude on the dude on a basketball court step back, Jay, just like just just the back, like look at the back, look at the muscles. Like no, that was
1: about the shot. That and by the way, that's, that's that that was shit.
0: That's a no, lie. Cool no, so Ryan, no. for everyone that knows or doesn't know, you're a big workout guy. So maybe I'm just
1: insecure though. Maybe it has nothing to do with working out. I,
0: well, what, what? <laughs> it, maybe it maybe it does have to do with workouts. I mean, I know that you've talked on part of my take a lot about like- Yeah, benching. but now I'm
1: typecast. That's the problem. They don't want to talk about anything. I'm reading this book about the cosmos right now but nobody's going to ask me about that because now I'm the workout guy and I have been for a long time.
0: So, <laughs> So I mean, what's your what's your workout routine now? Hey, you have been suffering? Like what's the quirkiest workout or eating habit that you developed over a quarantine that you just need to get rid of i, I feel like there was a segment that I really want to do, and I was gonna you can't
1: think. figure it out you're stuck
0: what no Are I'm you stuck scared. am I stuck no yeah. I, I have mine I know you what do? Mine. we'll go why
1: don't you go first and then I'll follow you
0: it's 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 the juice cleanse man the uh, the amount of times and that I'm sitting here with like a bottle of juice that I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do juice for five days. And then I finish. That's her. it. You don't eat any I, food. No, and you know what? It's really weird. And I'm not saying this at all because I, I do. I sustain myself, you know, with uh, you know, water and uh, coffee during that time. But at the same time, like, it clears my head. The less that I eat, the like the the stronger I feel emotionally. Um, like thinking creatively. Like I, I wake up early. I go to bed late. I like I'm just nonstop. But it's just, I'm at a point where after I finish this juice cleanse, that I'm like, I don't know what to eat now, <laughs> you know? It's bad, and I'm I'm just, I don't know, that's, I don't have an issue. What, you're not
1: getting any protein going here?
0: No, but then I usually do, but then, so then I'm standing in my apartment, I'm like, all right, salad, and I just want fish. Okay. You know, fish is expensive. So I go to a, you an know, Italian restaurant down the street, if I get a salmon, it's 25 bucks, so I have to make it myself, and then my whole kitchen smells like fish. I don't, I'm just, I don't, this is a whole, like, I need to figure out like a new eating regimen. I'm deciding like plant-based that that's my thing. I have a lot of allergies, food allergies. So like, I can't really do a lot of these specific diets. I'm not really like so keto, but yeah, if I do, it's a very clean protein. I don't know, but that's my problem. It's just like, it's like the, just the juice. I'm just going to do a juice cleanse for three days. 40. Yeah, check out
1: that organic uh, vegetarian protein. I don't know if it's keto or what it is. But I can't. But if, here's the
0: thing: I can't have I can't have that superfood nothing protein because it's made of peas. I'm is that the
1: problem violently okay.
0: allergic to string beans, peas, legumes. Like violently. legumes,
1: you're you're out on legumes. I feel like no, the okay. word legume, no yeah. one understands it. You do, but mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, it just isn't used enough. <laughs> you know, like people hear it and they go, "Am I 100 <laughs> like, sure?" Right. Because it sounds great. Chefs get it, you get it. Yeah. I only got it because Mark Wahlberg did it. So I was like, all right, if it's good enough for Marky Mark. I'm not sure about these guys waking up at four AM though. I just don't. I don't understand it. Like that I, would
0: I, I did it this morning only because Why? I have food in my body in three days. Like, you know, but I'm okay. I, so I'm tired and it's cool. But yeah, I the whole like waking up at five in the morning because it's better for your mind these guys and- are working
1: out at 4:30. i don't yeah, no, no, i don't no, get it hard. and then they put like this whole thing together whereas brady's trying to sleep 10 hours a day so who do i believe two great mm-hmm. americans and you know both connections to massachusetts do i stay in bed all day like brady i mean the other thing that's great about brady is clearly they have help with the kids so <laughs> brady's putting out this time tom first time thing and most guys are like so I'm just going to tell my wife I'm sleeping in to get that full recovery. Like that's not going to happen. And then Wahlberg, like, how am I supposed to watch NBA games if I'm supposed to be doing curls at 4 a.m.? So I'm not sure. And then Cam Newton's one. That one didn't make any sense. I think he just said, "Hey, put down that I wake up at 4:30," and then oh, that was because a and then
0: PR play right. And then PR I
1: start play. doing stuff at 7:30. It,
0: so what I mean, are you doing in between? I feel like I feel like he told Bill told him be like. These are certain things that I really want you to say, so we can put on the PR list. I haven't have done it. I don't know. Tom Brady. He wakes right. up at four thirty in the morning. He's a team player. He's a team guy. I'm going to keep him in the whole season.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't. Know. I don't know. I, that one was that one was weird because it was like normally, if you're going to say that you wake up that early, we need the details for the <laughs> next three hours. We don't. So I don't know. Maybe it's an hour of sleep for every touchdown he threw before the Jets game this year. So.
0: Oh! Oh, that well, eggs, eggs, five hours. That's right. Well, let's get into some football stuff. Since, oh, you didn't, I did you tell me your, your the
1: workout, workout thing? No, I mean, honestly, this is uh, I'm saying this not for anything that um, it's going to come off as if I'm bragging about how much I work out, but actually, I got to stop because I don't have anything to do. I mean, I look, I do, I work, I have my stuff, I watch the games, I have the writing stuff but I built a squat rack and a bunch of stuff in my garage. I moved in May. So I moved in the middle of this thing too. And a couple of people that I knew from Equinox, this girl that I'm friends with, who's a trainer, as soon as it started going bad out here, she was like, look, we're going to be close and we're going to be close for a long time. So immediately I was on road trying to buy up whatever I could figuring, all right, you know what? I've never wanted to be a workout at home guy. I like getting out of the house, especially because I'm home so much because of work. And I like going to the gym. I like actually, even though I'm by myself a ton that, that, mild interaction for an hour is important you know say what's up bullshit you know answer some questions about the nba and then get on get on to my business dude you, since, have,
0: you have some regulars you definitely have some old guy regulars that like that hit you up and smack you in the ass hey, hey ryan good well you saw that today's
1: climate i hope that doesn't happen but i would say that uh when when friends of mine from college or my fr- friends will be like wait so if you're still if you're not if you're sick, like it must be. And I go, Yeah, usually the guys that are really, really excited are, are guys that want to know about whether or not the Red Sox are gonna pick up another pitcher. I'm like it's not, it's not quite what you would hope it would be. So anyway, I built a squat rack in the garage. And I'm, when I I'll just wake up and go, ah, whatever, I'm just gonna do this again today. So I'm not taking enough time off. So therefore I'm constantly hurt all the time. And I just go, who cares? It doesn't matter because I just want to go and work out, self-exertion, get a little bit of a sweat, and then it resets my day. I used to be a workout in the afternoon guy. So as soon as I would get, I would go into ESPN early all the time. I was not a I'll show up and just wing it. I used to go in super early, do all the work. And then the minute the show was over, I was fucking out of there. I don't know if we can swear or not. Sorry. No, and no, then, exactly. uh, like uh,
0: this is a this is a uh this is an R-rated uh, show.
1: Okay, there we go. So then I would work out and then I'd cook. And then I would watch games. That was the East Coast schedule. I never thought I'd be a morning guy. I didn't really like it. Now I'm waking up early and I'm working out in the morning. But the problem is, I don't feel right unless I do it. So I'm doing it more. So that means at this age, I'm just hurt. So that's my workout tip, kids. Enjoy.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. you got to do that rest and recovery kind of thing. You need to get exactly. things like blow up leg. You know, that blow up leg situation. The blow up leg thing that for recovery. Yeah. Know. No,
1: I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. I had yeah. caddy stay with me. Do that. Right? He's a
1: pro jock, yeah. He was a caddy who, uh, he was a PJ tour caddy. And so when he stayed with me every day after the round with, with the golfer, he would just load up the legs. That was a steal. Anyway, so yeah, I know what you're talking about. That wasn't the best story I'll tell today on the podcast, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into the slate of NFL games. It's been a very slightly exciting season. And by slightly, I mean pretty shocking, entertaining, the fact that Dr. Alan Sills, like a, you know, a three-year-old slapping a Band-Aid on the NFL has managed to have all 265 games, 256 games. Maybe I'm a little dyslexic today. All of the games in the NFL were played and we are heading straight into a wild-card weekend, probably one of my favorite weekends. And I'm not really a big March Madness gal. I actually, that's the start of the NFL uh, offseason and Mm -hmm. free agency period. I'm really headed headfirst into the NFL free agency and, and couldn't care less about March Madness. I, you know, those days where everyone takes off and, you know, every, every jock in Murray Hill is running to the bar and skipping out on their wall street jobs. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the vibes. I so. actually
1: love, yeah. I mean, that's my favorite. That a lot of times I try to find a way to to get out of work myself.
0: Yeah. So I I love it's it. a personal favorite for everyone, but I I'm just saying that I'm going to rank the NFL Card weekend ahead of that. And, uh, there's a lot of topics that we want to get to, but I gotta, I gotta hit you up like it, Ryan, you do a great solo show. And I gotta say, there's not a lot of people that I can listen to solo, not even Colin Coward, but I ripped through that entire Ryan Rosillo ringer show where you went solo dolo an hour and what, 10 minutes. And it was solid. It was just nonstop. It was nicely segmented. I got to tip the cap and I hope that I can do as good of a job today with you on the pod. But um
1: Thank you.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, so the 32, do you, you have this thing where you give uh, team awards? And I feel yep. like um the first kind of question I wanted to ask you is like after leaving ESPN and getting more into the ringer, a lot of people obviously know that it is built by Bill Simmons and Bill Simmons was a big pop culture guy. And I mean, growing up, and when I mean growing up, I mean the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when Simmons had his column it was like a five page essay and you know it was 5,000 words once a week in his column and it, it just had a lot of pop culture references and I think that the ringer does a fantastic job of merging and segmenting um, you know the worlds of pop culture and movies and music and sports into sports and you had a lot of like pop culture references. Was that kind of part of your motto, your on-air personality before or is this some kind of something that you've adopted? while you've stepped into an, um, a new system and a new company?
1: No, it's a good question, but it, it's not related to me being at the ringer and, and having Bill run the ringer. Uh, I would say- just well,
0: saying just because of that that culture. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know
1: exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I, I would put it more like, doing solo radio is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Yep. And compared to solo po- podcasting, it, it's not even close. So solo radio, there's very few that are really good at it. I, I almost think it's, you know even if somebody offered you a ton of money for it and and you could do it you're like man there's just going to be days where you know your show's not going to be that good and that's that's the worst feeling and at least having a partner and somebody you trust and respect and and that's reciprocated that you can you know at least play off of them or set them up a little bit more if you're just not feeling I mean that's again it's 3 hours every day 5 days for me it was 10 years about just under 10 years in that kind of slot and so I have stretches where I was solo not being solo and the point, the reason I bring all that up is that I tried a million things, okay? I would try all sorts of stuff. So I was doing stuff like this for a long time, but it was a really good example of understanding it and, and it taking a long time to kind of find your voice and what works and what doesn't work. Big college football fan. So in 2006 or 2007, I think one of the first years, first year I was at ESPN was 2006. I did an ESPN rankings preview of the college football season. All right. And this is when I had, back then we'd have this six hour show on Saturdays. It was called game night and it would go from seven, yeah, 7 PM to 1 AM. And those are the shows that was basically the only shift I could get back then for about a year or so. Right. So I would just think, how am I feeling six hours? And then what can I do that I can actually repeat later on? So I spent, this is so, this is classic me back then too. I would prep like crazy And then use like 5% of it. It took me years to realize like, Hey, maybe just prep stuff that you're actually going to use on the air because this is the most inefficient way to do this. You're going to drive yourself crazy. So I went through and took all top 25 teams and put five teams on an index card and then put out every single returning starter on offense and defense, offensive, defensive efficiency, uh, strength of schedule rating projected strength of schedule. It could be this could be that high end, low end. I did it for all 25 teams, Courtney. And I did that segment, I would do five teams each segment. So that would be five segments. And then I repeated it again. And it was a 10 segment thing. And a boss was like, I know how much you worked on that. I can tell how much time you put into it. Yeah, That was nauseating to listen to, <laughs> okay? And it was, And but then I'm like, what are you talking about? I took forever on this. I give you all of this information. And they're like, yeah, but there was no, there was no discussion. <laughs> You're yeah. just reciting notes to us yep. for yep. an hour and 15 minutes, and then you did it again later that night. Like, you didn't even figure out how to make it. So the whole point of the 32 NFL Awards is normally I wouldn't do that, except it was the end of the season. I was usually doing between three and five, and I would expand up a little bit more. And I was trying to give you – on the podcast now that, you know, I've been doing it a little while, I try to do a, almost like a solo radio part that I'm really proud of because I also don't have to do um, – you know, I don't, I don't have to do, what would it be? 15 seconds a day, 45, 60, 75 segments a week. I can do three a week and hope I nail it as opposed to 75. And the, the the whole point of it was, I know I can do this, but if I make it quick and I make it funny, and then I actually try to put them in an order where I felt like if it was going in the wrong direction, I would bring it back in. So I actually did spend some time on organizing it, but it wasn't, Yeah, it wasn't anything. I get the point on the ringer part of it, but I've tried a million things and so many things don't work that when I find something that does, I knew I was like, hey, I can bring this back and it'll be fine.
0: It's so funny that you're telling that story. And there was a story too at the end of your podcast that someone had called in they're having power struggles with where they were working and you kind of gave some insight into the industry. But, you know, just even telling that story reminds me so much of my first year at NFL Network, which wound up being my last um unfortunately because of all the budget cuts and they sent me on the road to do Thursday night football and here I am i mean i had multiple people calling me especially adina kingbowle they're like are you are you getting the adidi treatment and they threw me into the fire of 15 different locker rooms uh every single week i had to basically crash course on a different locker room so i wound up on all of my hits monday crash course tuesday on air wednesday on air thursday on air at 6 Five in the morning, crash coursing and doing all of my research. I mean, going through on each side, doing individual matchups, defense, the numbers, um, you know, topic discussions of each side of the. And I wound up basically like giving so much information. It was so informative. And they were like, that sucks.
1: Yeah, no, it's true.
0: This sucks. Like, not only are you reading off of a card, but like, there's no authenticity on this there's, yeah, it's a lot of great information, but I mean, on one side, it was like, this was my crutch and it was like, I was just losing faith because I said like, what the hell else am I supposed to do? I, I'm, I'm 29 years old, I'm fresh in the league, I'm trying to build relationships and there's nothing else that I can do, you know, in a, in a span of a few days to give myself the heads up on a, an organization. But at the same time, it's like, when you're that young, you don't realize, all of that preparation, all that homework. Like I did plenty of prep for this. I got a whole sheet of lists and topics and stuff. And we're going off. That's, that's the most authentic part of the business. So I totally feel you on that. And I, I just, yeah, I did the whole 32 superlatives things. I think it was quick. It was edgy. And, um, I really liked one of them. You said that it was, uh, the parents weekend award.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was from experience. That was
0: wait, not my the, parents.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So oh, parents I'll explain weekend,
0: it there. There wait. So there's also too, there's this whole story about parents weekend for hockey players. I forget. It might also be part of my take talking about parents weekend and how like the dads would, uh, the dads would go bananas uh, for hockey weekend. Like the kids, the kids were like, dad, you got to go home. But it was like, it was a frat house party where the dads would black out. They puke. and like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can't remember, but when you said Parents Weekend, it made me laugh so much. So that was my favorite of the 32. Can you explain?
1: Yeah, it was basically a Drew Brees thing because Brees, I had heard all year he was retiring after this year and has this TV deal set up. And so he, he's he got the broken ribs, which apparently heals quicker than anyone else's ribs ever. Because each, each day they would come up, they'd be like, oh, we got a new broken rib. So um, he's still accurate. He, he hasn't been able to push the ball down the field now for a couple of years. I, I was holding out hope that maybe it was because Michael Thomas wasn't there at the beginning of the year. That's not the case. And when you watch it and then you look at the numbers, too, he just he didn't get the ball, ball down the field. And, and even though I picked the Saints to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I am worried um, about you know, some of these teams now, it used to be about, can you stop the run? Can you run the football? Now it's like, can you come back from a 10 point deficit at some point? Cause just the way the offenses are and how quick the scoring is. It's not like you're holding teams at 10, 12 points that they used to when we were growing up um, or I probably should say I was growing up Courtney, but um, the reason I brought it up was I'm not sure he's older, he's a little beaten up and I'm just not sure if he's going to make it. And it reminds me of a few of the dads over the years that would show up to college, especially because I went to UVM and it is a fun school. Burlington's amazing. I stayed there for years after the fact, I still miss it. I still go back twice a year. Uh, if I lived on the East coast, I'd probably spend some more time up there, maybe even move there, especially doing what I'm doing now. But I, would be like, man, so and so's dad. We're like, we don't know. I'm just trying to think of like a fake name or something, but we'd be like, Steve's dad. We're like, he's, he's going to try to stay out with us. And then it'd be late night. Right. And you go, all right, like you made it to last call and we know you partied. And yes, thanks for paying for stuff. And this is, this is kind of fun. But now we're actually going to try to like talk to girls at a late night. And we can't, you're a, a hundred. Like, we can't, we don't know if this is going to work. you're in the you're in the mix and it's a little weird and then like then you'd have a really weird parents weekend dad where you know the girls are kind of flirty with him because the dad's partying and he's drinking in the in a parking lot or something and he's got his flannels on his uvm dad ad on and then he's getting like weird where you're like no she doesn't actually like you so-and-so's dad like this your, your, your your wife is back at the sheridan like what are we doing here so Yeah, dads lose their shit on parents weekends because they kind of want to relive it again because the problem is is all the 20 year olds don't realize like this is it, this is like the most fun and the freedom that you're gonna have that you don't understand in the moment which is sort of the, the whole point of this. And the father's looking at them going, I would give anything, I would pay, if he's making a lot of money, I would pay anything to be 20 and to have this night again because it doesn't exist and he hasn't had anything like it for decades. So here he is, parents weekend.
0: Drew Brees is also secretly a big lacrosse dad. During the PLL championship right. this, this summer, I, someone was saying, I think it was during our championship game for Major League Lacrosse, one of the players who was out of the tournament was texting me, he's like, Drew Brees, on the, on one of their semifinal games, he's like, how much did they pay them? I'm like, he must have paid them. They must have gotten paid six figures to have him do it. But actually, he's just a big lacrosse guy. And I, I feel like I, you know, that, that conversation is definitely valid in terms of Drew Brees being the old guy And I got to agree with you. Uh, Speaking about the Saints, this you have to give credit to. This is a team that has three years of heartbreaking back-to-back losses, and they keep coming back. So the comparison to the old dad coming back, I mean, he's just going to keep – he's going to take the L every parent's weekend, and he's going to keep coming back and back. And that is a credit to the versatility. And, uh, you know, I mean, just – just the the ability to thrive in situations. They got their entire running back room taken away last week, and they were able to pull a guy. Like Ty Montgomery was on the Jets roster a couple of weeks ago. Um, Emmanuel Sanders stepping up for Michael Thomas, nine catches, 60 yards and a TD. It's not fantastic, but what do you think about this Saints team going into the postseason? Because I feel like as... Scott Hansen on red zone often says, he says, you know, it's like the witching hour when wins become losses and losses become wins. I feel like there's a lot of these teams in the postseason, season. Uh, and we'll get to a lot of them. Cause I got a lot of thoughts about this upcoming weekend, especially with the saints. This is the final trip for me. And I think for a lot of people to say that Drew Brees is going to be hanging it up after this season. Uh, I, you know, they're going to have to go on the road in order to make a postseason run. They're a tough out but I'm not so sure that their defense or 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 their roster is going to solidify them and you know they're going to go home with a consolation prize of sweeping the NFC South
1: yeah, you know, every every loss they had this year was close. I mean, they got up to the weird one and two start after that opening win against, you know, Brady with all of us were watching because we're like, yeah. oh, going to see how this plays out and then the rematch is is arguably like the worst Brady game that we've ever seen. But every game was close. They still find a way um, with Taysom, who I can't believe the faith they have in him. I just I don't I don't get it. They paid him all this money maybe i mean it's hard to tell sean payton like i'm not sure you're right about this with quarterbacks and offense but it doesn't look great it doesn't look like great but now you don't have to worry about that because they've got breeze back at least to make the right decisions uh it's really always been about the defense and the personnel i I feel like their skill guys even beyond thomas are are kind of underrated um i know kamara you know as obviously everybody knows who he is and with the six touchdown game and, and all the fantasy championships that he won for a bunch of people. But I don't know that they get mentioned enough with that group, but defensively at least players that have played that I've had on my podcast. And I would agree with them is that when the D line is right, it's really imposing. The yeah. secondary is a little bit older, but I don't, I don't look at it as a surprise of, of them being able to go toe to toe with any of these teams in the NFC. I just, I just don't. I mean, they've already shown it twice against Tampa the green Bay game. I know it was was, close. But there's just between that and then Chicago coming in, where I think Chicago, in a weird way, going 8-8, eight and eight, making the playoffs, means another year of like just dragging out the same thing that you've already seen. So I don't look at any of the other teams saying, hey, New Orleans has a really hard time matching up with them, because I think the foundation of who they are as a defense allows them to make up for the fact that they're not going to score a million points like they used to have to in the past. Because I don't think Breeze is capable of that, unless they just run the hell out of football.
0: I just, I feel, I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I feel like the Saints, again, as I was saying, they have the ability to win. They have the ability to adapt and to thrive, and it's remarkable what they've done with backup quarterbacks. you got to think about Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater and Matt Rule's system, even earlier this year, was pretty great, but now it's kind of like, I mean, he got benched for P.J. Walker for the former... Yeah l guy on sunday so clearly there's something that is there's a rhythm and a rhyme to the reason if i said that right um with sean Pete. and um I, you know again I, yeah it's just man it, you know they they do have the ability to keep moving on another team too i, I just i think that the nfc at least in my perspective is kind of like swiss cheese There's one or two teams that stand out. They're clearly the weaker conferences, you know, from the the games that we saw this past weekend from these AFC powerhouses. And, uh, you know, the Chicago Bears to me when you're talking about them in the postseason, I really feel like this is really kind of a consolation prize once again using that term. Uh, for the for the front office and for Ryan Pace to continue his job and you know for Matt Nagy to continue and say hey maybe Mitch Trubisky wasn't such a failure after all they're kind of saving face and you know I, I'm not I'm not so sure that they're going to make a, a good postseason run but one of them that's actually rather interesting to me is the Seattle Seahawks and it comes on the news on the heels of the news yesterday or a couple days ago that the Detroit Lions were interested in going after and trying to poach general manager, John Snyder, who was a tremendous personnel guy. I mean, uh, he built the Legion of doom. He is always a wheeling and dealing. He's very, he's very casual, which is one of the things that I absolutely love about him. Um, they're trying to poach him uh, after this off season. So, you know, the, the Seahawks, I, I just, to me, it's the offense that worries me because earlier in the season, it was really the defense. And that wasn't, that wasn't such an issue. Uh, there were a lot of talks about possibly Russell Wilson getting nods for MVP votes that he had never gotten a nod for MVP. But I mean, now we're talking about a, a Seattle team that only had 109 off yards of offense at the start of the fourth quarter in that, in that uh, week 17 game. So Is that a team that you feel like is kind of um, a bend and break team going into the NFC playoffs?
1: It really is more about the defense for me because, as you point out in the beginning, it's this big campaign. It was almost like Russell Wilson propaganda to get him the MVP. Not to say he's not deserving. He's incredible. He's probably the second quarterback I trust the most in the league. I, I really mean that. And to see what he did even against San Francisco, who I actually think deserves a ton of credit, too, for all the personnel that they've lost. And it even goes six and ten, but be competitive in these games. I've I've been impressed with San Francisco the whole time. I plan I'm plan on connecting this and having it make sense. So bear with me. So Wilson, that third and seven, fourth quarter, huge drive, down a score, tied. You need it. He finds a way. I feel like more than anybody. I mean, Mahomes to me is in another group. We're not allowed to compare anybody to him, even with Rogers being incredible this year. But The whole point of the start of the season felt like let Russ cook. You know, there's these numbers where they'll look at what an NFL team does the first 28 minutes of a game because that way play calling is dictated solely on approach and not having anything to do with score. You know, so it takes out the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, and then a lot of the play calling is based on score. So this part of the play calling dictating solely on what you want to do, and they were starting to throw the football so much more. But that defense was atrocious. That defense was so bad bad. that – that we had people starting to like get mad at teams for not signing Cam Newton because Cam Newton lit them up. And what we didn't realize is that was, that was just, you know, Cam was lighting up and look, I think Cam clearly was more hurt in the second half of the year. There's a lot going on. The personnel wasn't terrific, but I know that over the years I've argued with so many ESPN people about how good Cam is or isn't. Uh, But Cam, at least in that moment had kind of fooled everybody in that. Whoa. But what we didn't realize is that those first five or six weeks the Seattle's defense was so historically terrible that everybody was lighting them up, especially in that secondary. So, you know, Adams is back, I think, around week nine. There were some numbers I was looking at with Seattle where week week nine to week 16, it was actually a top 10 defense. You know, you look at the opponents, you cherry pick in there a little bit. So they're better than they were at the beginning of the half. But back to your Russ point, I still trust him. But that offense, you're right, has fallen off. But I feel like it fell off because Russ started making throws that were uncharacteristic because he knew his defense couldn't get any stops for the first half of the season. So sure. that's where I think if you really look at some of these teams, one of my favorite examples of it is that Denver team after they won the Super Bowl with El- or excuse me, with uh, with Manning. That defense still was incredible, Courtney, with personnel and what they were able to do. But eventually you're sick of getting stops when your offense never does anything. So they started saying, hey, this Denver defense has fallen off. And I'm like, I still think this group is awesome. But you're just not going to try as hard when you know you can't do anything. And in this case, I think Russ and that offense started really trying to push it more because they felt like the other side was just going to give up six anyway. So there you go.
0: Back to Tom Brady in the box. It worried me a little bit about... Tom's capability in primetime games, whether or not things were going to start clicking for him down the stretch, and, and clearly um, father time has not caught up to him yet. And he's continuing that late season sharpness and focus that down the stretch, he's just going to be more driven than ever. And, but to me, it, it almost makes me wonder, do you think that this offense, and I know that we've had Antonio Brown come up as of late and we had 11 catches on Sunday. It was Tom Brady was helping him get another bonus and yeah. all around to, I mean, they got a million tight ends and then we got Scotty Miller in the mix and in the running game. Do we feel like they have the capability to make a, a long postseason run or do we still see that the Tampa Bay Bucks are kind of that team that can really break in a primetime game when put under pressure?
1: You know, the primetime thing seems crazy to apply to somebody like Brady. I mean, we did Brady, it with Andy I mean, Exactly. I mean, I, but it,
0: I mean, it's proven. You were just talking about Drew Brees yeah. and Tom Brady, and that's exactly what we saw.
1: I'm good with Brady. I'm still good with Brady. I feel like just watching him, the, the velocity behind the football, this is just somebody who's watched him probably as sure. much as, you know, everybody that's listened to this, as much as everybody growing up with it. I mean, we watch this guy every, every Sunday for, for 20 years. I think he's throwing the football now better than at any point in the previous two years with New England and having better personnel as part of that. But I'm just talking about the physical part of it. I mean, they had that game against Carolina where I thought he was missing throws because he was so amped up. Like it was just so much juice behind him throwing the football that I was, I was pretty impressed with it. So I'm not really even worried about him. I think the biggest problem is he's such a prep freak that the beginning of this year, you had some real ups and downs. And then when it looked really bad after the back-to-back losses against the Rams and Chiefs, even though that looks like a three-point loss to the Chiefs at home, remember the start of that game. It was was a disaster out of the gate, and Tampa found a way to adjust defensively and get back into it. But, you know, it didn't feel like they were ever – they were certainly never in control of that football game. I knew just looking at it. You go okay, but they're seven and five. They're going to put together a run here because they're playing the Vikings, the Falcons twice, and the Lions. So now they're an five team. When they were seven and five team, we had all these doubts. So even though at the high side, the offense is is a top five offense in the NFL. I mean, yeah. the defense has personnel that gets you excited, but they're basically like a back and forth five hundred team with these real peaks and valleys. And even though you're sitting there saying, oh, they put it together last month, they play bad football teams, it's just hard for me to imagine them coming from that spot where their seating is, that now they're going to run through the NFC and not have one of those bad games. They just haven't been consistent enough, even though I think Brady's been really good this year and I like the talent.
0: Interesting quote over the weekend, Chase Young. Rookie, I mean tremendous. What they've done with that Washington front seven is is unbelievable, and that kid looks like uh, you know a mainstay, a generational type Absolutely. pass rusher for years and years to come. And I can't say enough about the things that Ron Rivera has been has done down there. Um, I think there was a funny there was a funny meme that said that he beat cancer twice this year, and the second being <laughs> Dwayne Haskins. That's pretty <laughs> tough. Oh, that was great. However. One of the big things that I saw over the weekend was Chase Young, super excited. And I mean, listen, he's got the chops. I'm reading this Brady Belichick book from Michael Hawley. And it's actually, it's just so great because it's like running down memory lane. And they you know, often point out some of these guys that are brazen and have the leadership skills. And a lot of people are saying um, that Chase Young is comparing him to um, Ray Lewis, which is the craziest thing ever. Some Someone in that locker room was saying that You know, he has the leadership and the vocal ability as Ray Lewis, which obviously remains to be seen in the couple in the years to come. But one of the things that he said as he ran off the field, he said, I want Tom Brady. Bring on Tom Brady. Don't you think, Ryan, that those three words are the last three words that are going to be put on your tombstone on a
1: Sunday?
0: (laughs) We want Brady. Uh, uh, save your tongue, save face. And even Bruce Arian said it to him. He said, listen, be careful what you wish for. How many times has that worked out for a defender? Never.
1: I mean, Brady went crazy against the Steelers, a defensive back that I can't remember his name, where it was like, even for Brady, and Brady gets pretty fired up when they used to score back in the day because he's just such a great teammate. But that Steelers, I forget who it was. Who the hell was that Steelers defensive back? Because it was like a kind of a, a non- non-guy it wasn't like it was a a big name who called him out and he he was like he was fired up started spiking the football in dudes faces and all that kind of stuff Uh, look chase young's been terrific good for those guys you're seven and nine yeah you know you guys are seven and nine i mean that's why like this whole joe judge thing him freaking out i get it you know you're doing the football guy deal you went six and ten
0: like i I don't want to
1: hear it what what's that
0: Anthony smith is the guy you were thinking anthony
1: smith good call Yeah, can't believe I forgot that name.
0: (laughs) I can't believe I forgot that. Here's a funny thing. Did you know that the Patriots had their eye on and they had the potential to draft Troy Polamalu? But there was a rush of new um, uh, free agent signings, including uh, Rodney Harrison, among others, that they signed and decided to pass on Troy Polamalu. Could you imagine Troy Polamalu on the 2003 New England Patriots? I just... The thought of that makes my head explode.
1: Yeah, he would have been a legend. Although I loved Rodney so much oh, he in was San Diego. Favorite. And then <laughs> watching, getting to watch him every week. And also realizing how much it sucked to be in the defensive backfield as a teammate. Because back then, if the pile was still the pile, he would just kill shot anyone. It didn't matter. It didn't matter <laughs> like, the friendly fire from Rodney Harrison. <laughs> he just but. I loved him, and he's such a Belichick guy that that's one of those signings. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it would have been awesome at Palomalu, but I would have hated, back then, when I cared about the outcomes a little bit more, I just loved I was like, I can't believe you're getting Roddy Harrison because I loved watching him in San Diego so much.
0: He was my favorite Patriots player. It was the first jersey that I ever bought, and when he tore his ACL in the 2007 season, I hung the jersey over my bed in college. And you can imagine the reaction from a couple of Jets or Giants fans that I had over in my apartment. To see that they
1: Wait, they, where'd you go?
0: There I went to the University of Maryland.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're a terp.
0: Same as your guy, Scott Van Pelt. That's I think right. that was why my mom cut out the article because SVP I, was a terp salon
1: It had nothing to do with the vineyard this whole time. It was just about being a terp. That oh, makes sense. It's,
0: it's exactly, exactly. It was just about being a terp. But yeah, Rodney Harrison to me, I used to embody everything that he was. It was like I I was really old, so you
1: were a lot like Rodney Harrison?
0: Oh man, I just, I, I, I can remember my senior year in varsity soccer. And I I was like, I, I, I was like, I want to embody Rodney Harrison. And I just had that whole energy that like violent energy of that, like firing teammates up and just going after every single ball and just being aggressive on every play. He was my favorite player, man. I can't, I can't say that mud. Well, I mean, there's a few of them that tops, but um, he's definitely, he's definitely very high on my list.
1: Yeah, I loved him. I loved him. Got to meet him a couple of times. And, uh, you know, he just, I, to be that tough. So, you know, because so many guys want to be tough guys, and especially if you're an NFL player. like You, you want to be known as a tough player. You want to be known as a guy that would do anything for his team. But there's a lot of guys that want to play that role, but don't really have it upstairs. And with him, I just love guys who there's absolutely no doubt in a fight. This is somebody who's going to just go as, as hard as he can.
0: And, and I mean, how can you forget when the confetti fell? I mean, with us last play, he broke his arm, and he came back out on the field, and his arm was like dangling like this. And then he pushed the guy out with his broken arm, and he's in the he's in the sling as the confetti's coming, and he's crying. Just memories, memories. Yeah. Uh, you Good know, stuff. Patriots, greats. I gotta recommend though. You're talking about reading books, I. Picked up I'm deciding that this year is going to be the year that I'm going to read just about every single sports book that I can uh, imaginably put my hands on I know Jeff Perlman has like nine of them sweetness and he writes new ones every day but uh, Perlman's
1: USFL one is so good really? uh, the Lakers the newest Lakers one we had him on my podcast Perlman really does a great job with these
0: he, so. interestingly enough so he, after college I took a media Bistro course do you remember that website? They used to offer like classes, online classes. And I took a sports writing class and he was my professor.
1: Oh, no kidding. What year was this?
0: This was 2009. And at that point,
1: I, yeah, at that point, I was hoping I was getting things going a little bit. My desperate years were 2000 to 2002, three. So that was, that was my stretch.
0: Well, I mean I just didn't know what the hell I wanted to do and I wanted to get into the sports broadcast. How was he?
1: Cuz he's a really personable he guy. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: He was fantastic yeah. and he was so thorough and I really wish that I still had that lesson plan because I listened and I participated but I didn't submit a paper at the end because I had this whole plan that I wanted to interview Jerry Remy and I wanted to get it out that he was like still smoking cigarettes after he had cancer. So I did this whole interview and it was super elaborate. I, I think I talked to Wait, him Wait, he
1: did about- it? He he said, Hey, I'm still smoking.
0: No, I got finally to that last question and I chickened out and I like asked Yeah, him no what shit. Happened. Which I, I mean he eventually, you. he eventually wound up admitting because I, mean, I know, said, but he, I, I can't
1: like that's crazy. Oh, I would no. never ask somebody that. Oh, oh my God. no, I mean
0: I was aggressive. Listen, there's a reason that I made it to the top as fast as I did. Come on. But I asked him and I did this whole thing, and I did this whole elaborate um, you know, broadcasting thing um and i wanted to do this whole feature i just chickened out i was like i can't do this and but me and jeff stayed in close contact and i mean wow what what a mentor to have that early in your career even though i didn't go down the print path that's i mean he's a tremendous he's a tremendously talented writer and i think he had just finished sweetness that was that that was around the time the same time
1: yeah i i didn't read that the usfl one was terrific the Cowboys one, he's done two of the Lakers ones. The most recent yeah. one too was crazy because it it was all these interviews that he'd done for years where everybody who basically interacted with Kobe was like, he sucks.
2: <laughs>
1: and um, so then, you know, no. unfortunately Kobe dies in this awful he tragedy.
0: In a sense of like personality wise, and he wasn't nice?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go there. If we go from just a teammate standpoint, like no one liked him. Yeah. No one liked him. He was impossible. He was impossible to deal with. So the whole, I mean, that's that's according to these accounts. Um, wow. You know, Shaq, when, when you go through the Shaq and Kobe stuff, and I remember reading about it all over the years. I mean, this is a time where like, that, was, that was whatever social media was. You know, you would, yeah. I would read the LA Times online back in Vermont going, what the hell is wrong with these guys? Like, they're yeah. so good, and they're constantly fighting. And it's actually incredible. It's incredible to think you could have two guys, Hall of Famers, Two of the 15 best players of all time. I mean, you know, I'm not turning into an all-time ranked debate here. I I don't feel like doing that. But they're on this team, they're in their prime together, and and they they can't stand each other. And you're like, well, who's right? And then people in the media had to take a side. So if you were a Kobe guy, then Shaq wouldn't talk to you, and vice versa. And if you try to be down the middle, they'd be like, now you need to pick a side. I mean, it's actually pretty crazy when you think of the drama, which the NBA is far more full of than, than any of the sports. But when you go through that book, Like, you start to understand Shaq's frustrations far more because it was like, look, man. And, you know, Kobe's frustrations were with Shaq that he wasn't healthy. Anyway, Perlman does a great job because it's all of, um, it's all these interviews, basically. It's an oral history, essentially, of most Um, of it. Yeah, so it's great.
0: He's super thorough with all of his interviews. And I I just, that last note on on Shaq and that, you know, his frustrations you're talking about, he's still mad that he didn't get unanimous MVP in the year 2000. I mean, he was probably one of the most dominant centers that we had seen in years. Yes, because one
1: guy voted for Iverson.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that guy was connected to him in Philly. I mean, the the voting is absurd anyway. Uh, And I always hate that Curry gets dumped on because he was the first unanimous guy. And you're like, all right, but the only reason like the two other guys haven't been unanimous is that some hometown reporter decided to hook up his guy. So whatever.
0: Speaking of the NBA... Yeah, there's a lot of drama. And to be honest, Ryan, I think that I'm a product of my environment in the sense that when I was 26, that was when I first started auditioning at NFL Network. And I was told, you better drop everything that you have. And you better study the X's and O's of the NFL. And you better eat, sleep, and breathe that shit. And (laughs) at that time, I had covered the heat to their second straight NBA title and that team with LeBron and Chris Bosh and Ray Allen and step back, the comeback with the Spurs and game six. And man, I was infatuated with the game and it took a couple of years off and you have to forgive me for saying this, but it's taken me a lot to get back into it because I just feel like either there's too much drama or just the storylines to me aren't, aren't biting. So, so why should I be interested in the NBA season this year? Which I am. I mean, uh, I'm of the Celtics, but at the same time, just in terms of the, like, the entire league. Salman I'm surprised and-
1: you don't like the storylines. So the, the Harden storyline, even if you don't like Harden, is is fascinating. I mean, this guy has had everything catered to him. They traded for one friend. He didn't want him, so they traded for another friend. So they've moved all these future assets for players that didn't end up wanting to play with Harden. They've... And did, they've made this entire offense work to put him up there historically with other great offensive players that are just better than him. So some of the system, and he's great as he is, and he is really, really good. Oh, yeah, um, good. Some, of these, some of these comps are absurd. And then he decides, you know, I'm not going to follow any of the protocols coming back because he'd already had COVID before the bubble. And tweets out a bunch of, or it was Instagram emoji stuff, and then it broke, breaks protocol again. But since they had other COVID t- positives or COVID contacts, that they ended up suspending the first game against Oklahoma City. So it actually saved him like half a million dollars because he wasn't being punished for missing a game because of his own lack of protocol because then the game was... So, I mean, he's... Guys are selfish. I get it. Special people that are really good at what they do, like the best in the world, can be tough to deal with and can see the world in a, a very, very narrow lens where everything yeah. pertains to how it makes them feel better. But Harden, this city that has defended him against guys like me who just kind of like, look, I know he puts up numbers, but I can't stand watching this. And they lose all the time in the playoffs, except for one year. I, I, I like, if that doesn't get you excited, at least the drama part of it. I mean, this league is either the drama completely turns you off or you can't get enough of it. It is the biggest soap opera every six months. There's another star that wants out. I understand. Like when my friends go, Hey, that totally turns me off. I don't tell them that they're wrong. I understand. Like, but it's great for content. It's great for TV shows. It's yeah. great for radio shows. Back in the day, I used to take July off all the time because I was like, all right, finally I get a break. The finals are over. The draft is over. Free agency. I'll stick around for a couple of days, July. ended, it became one of my becoming one of my highest rated months because of that NBA stretch for those first couple of weeks of July, because people were like, what the hell is next? I mean, out of nowhere, you know, Russell Westbrook was traded last year yeah. um, out of like, that was late in the game everybody looked at Kawhi Leonard, Courtney as the perfect spur gets it. And you're like, wait, he's sitting out an entire year. Cause now he's mad. Like Kawhi's doing that. And then people are learning like, wait, Kawhi might just be like about himself in a way that we never, ever imagined. And he's really good. And it's worked out, you know, it worked out in Toronto and the Clippers yeah. did everything to go ahead and get him. So the uncertainty of, of what's happening and who's the next guy to be mad is an entertaining discussion. It can be a turnoff. So if you're not into that, I get it. But that would be my, my hook because it's the biggest soap opera in sports.
0: I got to think about it because you know, there's some storylines that I'm watching and I'm just like, okay, like even during that Sunday night game, it was like, I kept getting alerts for Steph Curry from 62, you know, 62 points, which was amazing. I love the Draymond green. Was it Draymond Green? They're like, oh, combined 63 points. Was <laughs> it him? Yeah. It was just kind of a playoff that, that he scored nothing. Um, I I just I feel it found, was, yeah, right. He
1: had one I point. Found the storyline
0: yeah. for the NFL being a little more interesting. I listen, I, I guess that I just it's it's one of those things that I just gotta bite my tongue and be like, listen, you gotta get back into it. I feel like I just am sour about the fact that I just I don't find I'm watching these Celtics games. And sure, Peyton P. Rabbit Pritchard drops what twenty eight points coming off the bench. One of the more underrated, you know, uh, NBA draft signings, or you know, for the Celtics, can Jalen Brown still do? I was watching this 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 Celtics game, and them just playing just sloppy, uh, you know, up court, up tempo basketball, and running up, and them losing in the last second, but they had like a ten point lead against the Rock uh, the they had a ten point lead against the Pistons, and then they lost in the last second because Marcus Smart took some, you know, eighteen foot jumper. I, I found I was just like, how is this exciting ball? How am I as a fan for the Celtics? I, you know, Jason Tatum individually very exciting. I love who Jalen Brown is. I love his personality, who he is as you know, uh, an activist for social rights and. Um, you know, everything that he is off of the court. I think he's a fantastic player on the court. I don't see this team gelling the way that a lot of people are, even though I had Kevin O'Connor on this podcast. And he said, listen, I think that the Celtics are in great hands. I think that the future is very bright. I think what Danny Ainge did with picking all three of those draft picks was exactly what they needed. But part of me is also thinking the chemistry in this team is not good. Uh, and and I I'm not really so sure that Brad Stevens is the guy.
1: uh Oh, here we take go him
0: down the stretch.
1: Yeah, the anti Brad stuff in Boston is really weird to me. And whenever I'm home, I'll, I'll usually catch it. It depends, obviously, because look, they've won games. Uh, it's not like they, they're a bad team here. So there's some stuff. First of all, you being more interested in Week 17 in the playoff matchups in the NFL than the second week of the NBA—that's you're you're making the right decision there. All okay. right, so you that's shouldn't that's right. you shouldn't right, feel right, any right, kind right. of guilt whatsoever about any okay. of that. But as far as let's start with Brad. All right, Brad, when he first came out of the scene, that number one seeded team, 57 wins or something like that—that's an incredible accomplishment. That wasn't a great basketball team. All right, they should have yeah. lost to the Wizards in the second round, but that Wizards team was the softest group and mentally like not tough players. They just all wanted to stick their chest out and they were all soft when it came down to it. And the Celtics were a better team team. And then guess what happened? They get smashed by LeBron and the Cavs who were going to take the regular season as seriously. So for Brad, I'd say this is the only playoff series losing against Miami where there was an expectation that he was going to win because even in the seven game series a couple of years ago, when Kyrie couldn't be bothered to come by like the Celtics shouldn't have won that series against Cleveland, but that Cleveland team wasn't that great. And they went to seven games of the Pacers the first round back then. So What happened was, Brad, you're like, oh, my God, like, look at this. It's way ahead of schedule. Brad's amazing. You have idiots like me. And I didn't do this, but I at least brought it up as a topic, is that how important is Brad compared to a player? When this entire time, this league is about players. It's never about coaches. Coaches can get you up another step or it can get in the way of your development but nobody's taking the Orlando magic to the NBA finals just because of X's and O's. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. If you don't have one of those 10 guys, you don't really have a chance to compete for a championship. And usually most teams have two of those top 10 guys. Right. So there, there was this part of Brad, like one coworker that I had completely lost his fucking mind on it was, if you could have any player or coach, how many players would you take to start your franchise before you take Brad Stevens? And he was arguing like four or five players before Brad. So then Celtics fans are, this is how they're being introduced to him, as if he's this ninja who sees the game in a way that no one's ever seen the game and that he's going to elevate it. And when I would argue the Miami series loss is the only one where you go, well, that's one they probably should have had, but probably. Is probably a little arrogant. I mean, that series seriously could have gone either way and they ended up losing it. So, right um, you know, losing players, that's another thing. People are mad if you're anti age, which happens on talk radio there a lot. I hear it a lot. At least I was back. I was back right before the holidays, so I was hearing a ton now, of. No, it. it's
0: definitely, it's nonstop. And I mean, there's definitely certain people that drive the narrative. And I think that you and I both know who exactly. Well, I worked with is.
1: some of those people. So I worked with like, hey, I don't really have a take, I don't want to put any time into this. So I'm just going to say Ainge sucks all of a sudden. Here's here's the best way to look at it. Ainge has had some misses, okay? A lot of misses in later picks. A lot of those later picks, like after 14 and 15, don't amount to anything. So if you can get a rotation player, that's really good. But Ainge is missing out on those. I'd rather have Ainge miss those than miss the Jason Tatums and take a Markel Fultz, who everybody said was the number one. And if it wasn't Fultz, it was Lonzo. Very few teams. I love Tatum. Very few teams were like, Tatum should be one. Ainge figured that out and got a pick for it. Ainge figured out Jalen Brown when the, after that Simmons and Ingram part of that draft, that draft was a mess. Nobody wanted even three. Like you didn't know there was a bunch of different scenarios. People in Boston wanted Chris Dunn. So Ainge hits on the Tatums, hits on the Browns, is smart enough to not extend Horford. OK, is smart enough to know that I can't pay Gordon Hayward all of this money, even though they still made a competitive offer. So then the other anti Ainge people are like, oh, he keeps losing these players it's like no, no, no. Pick one. You can either get mad at him for losing the player and then say you want Gordon Hayward to make $120 You can't say it's an awful contract, but then also be mad at Ainge for losing the player at the same time. I would say on the little things, like if Ainge is planning a dinner, Ainge, the food is great. The service is great. You know, the music, the whole deal, but they make you wait outside in the cold before you go in. And it's annoying. So, yeah, I'd like he had a really tough stretch of missing some of the middle of late round guys you're like look some of these guys are complete whiffs like what the hell's going on and I think the more important stuff he's done a much better job with
0: well so is that the saving grace for him that
1: well, what are you asking are you asking should he not be running the team
0: no no I mean listen I, as much as I dog on Danny Ainge I, I'm also too I'm, I'm just kind of Looking at the bigger picture here, and I know that there's going to be a lot of these Celtics fans. That there are many of them here in Boston. They're like they're like the fanboys. The fanboys come out of the woodworks, and you know it's almost like they're happy with the mediocrity. I want this. It's not mediocrity. That's level. I know, but okay. So I get it. Jalen
1: and Tatum have done in the last week.
0: No, they would have gotten their asses destroyed by the Lakers. Like you know, I mean. When I'm thinking about competing, I'm thinking about a full rounded bench. I'm looking at, you know, the rotational guys. And I think that the Miami Heat are a team that really has it. They've got it together. And, you know, there's a reason that my, you know, Boston went in there as the more talented team, but in terms of a cohesion and personality and whatever the fuck they were doing, you know, in game six and punching each other, throwing chairs, all that shit, uh, they couldn't figure it out down the stretch. So, I mean, I'm looking at this team and I'm like, okay, so is it Brad Stevens um, you know, it, it's they're missing one or two guys. And although Daniel Tice is a nice defensive player, I mean, I don't know, he's not like he's not your birdman, so to speak. I mean, he's not your big guy. Why can't the Celtics get a big guy? Why couldn't they have drafted a big guy? What is going to be that one piece that's going to take them to the next level? And I think driving to the basket is something that they lack sincerely because. They have focus in it. Aaron Naismith was the perfect example of Danny Ainge going in there and saying, All right, well, we're gonna have a pure shooter because this is how we're gonna be playing ball. We're gonna be taking that 15, 18-foot jumper. We're gonna step back, we're gonna pass the ball around. That's the kind of get ball, you know, games that we're playing. But it's risky because of that game that I was watching the other night, and they're just jacking up shots without communicating. And I'm like, what about and they're missing them, by the way. I mean, when you make buckets, it's easier to, you know. To support it I, I just the 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 style of basketball that i'm seeing at least given me granted it's very early in the season the style of basketball i've been seeing is just it's it's not championship quality like it, it's not championship caliber just in terms of the pieces and I, i'm just saying think, thinking to myself three out of the last four years uh, there are some big names that wanted nothing to do with with this team uh, kyrie irving al horford and gordon hayward so you know not only can you not bring the big names to town. Um, if you were to be able to trade for James Harden, I'd take him. I would be very hesitant to trade away Jalen Brown because I I really love his style of play and I'd rather have someone who was more of a team guy like Jalen Brown than someone as, although he's albeit very good, someone as selfish as, um, you know, as a basketball player as James Harden. But I, I just, to me, it's, I, I'm just, I'm not satisfied with reaching the finals or the Eastern Conference finals, three of the last four years or two out of the last three, whatever it was. I, I just, I don't see this team making that leap or being capable of making the leap to the next level. And that's my Celtics run.
1: Yeah, well, there's six in the offense. So the offense is working. And Tatum is, Russ, when you start to go, wait, well, who is this guy? They don't have a performance like he did against Toronto where it's incredible. And then Jalen is at another level. And this is all without Kemba. Peyton Pritchard is a real guard in a rotation. Yeah. Um, I'm excited it, about
0: that kid it's
1: yeah. it's a home run for a guy that I'll admit other teams were kind of like oh my god I can't believe they took Peyton Pritchard because you see mm-hmm. a lot of Peyton Pritchard's running around college basketball court and you go ah you know whatever gay score is tough you know whatever this guy's going to end up in Greece and and Ainge went for it I mean Ainge went for it and a lot of people rolled their eyes about it and it was terrific so I I think there's, there's this arrogance in Boston that because the Patriots did what they've done the Red Sox – I mean, the Red Sox feel like they backed into a couple championships that you couldn't even believe that happened. You're like, wait, we're getting more of these? This is yeah. amazing. Um, And even, you know, a Bruins run that came close again a couple times on top of the cup that somehow Ainge and Brad, you know, need to do more. Like, there's no perfect fix. You have to have somebody want to come there. And by the way, for decades, everybody said Boston can't ever get any of these free agents, and then they got Horford and Horford. Hayward within a couple years. Horford. Right. So. Yeah. So Horford, and then you have Kyrie. I mean, anybody that wants to complain about Kyrie leaving is if that's a Boston thing. I mean, have you guys paid attention to any of these posts? Like, and then the Horford part.
0: Kyrie gets the pass on that. He's a complete Horford.
1: They paid right Horford. (laughs) Philadelphia. As soon as that contract was was dry, it was the worst. It was one of the worst contracts in the NBA. I mean, it wasn't as bad as like say a Westbrook thing because of the years of total money. But I mean, Horford's already been flipped a couple times because they're just using that as, as, as a contract to move around a little bit. So, yeah, the Celtics want to keep Horford. They would have liked to keep Kevin Hayward. But I think it's more impressive that Ainge doesn't just say, all right, well, whatever the price is, we're just going to go ahead and keep him, even though we know that Gordon Hayward at like 40-something million four years from now. I mean, it's just funny to me that how many people complain about Horford in the original contract and how he was always hurt all the time, which is just bad luck. Now somehow want to be mad at Ainge for not keeping the guy around that you complain about for three years. It doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. All
0: right. Well, I guess I'm gonna give a Danny Ainge a, a complete pass once <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets bow out of the postseason, because as of right now, I mean, that's this is literally the exact thing that I've been saying. And tip my cat to Michael Felger because you know he's kind of on the same page here. If the Brooklyn Nets win a championship before the Boston Celtics, and the way that they fleeced them. In the postseason, I mean in the draft to get Jalen Brown, to get Jason Tatum. I mean, that was just one of the best turnarounds for Danny Ainge in terms of, you know, personality. Traded Pearson, Garnett. If if the Brooklyn Nets wind up winning a championship before the Celtics, it's not gonna look good.
1: So you guys are just gonna leave out the Durant part of this? No, Durant is well, like, arguably no, the no, best player in the world.
0: Went there And Kyrie Irving and they figured it out. Well, that's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, But that doesn't they, have anything to do with Ainge in Boston. It doesn't have anything, like Durant going to Brooklyn and if they win a title, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to like take your Celtics hoodie off. Like that's the stuff I don't understand about talk radio in that city anymore. I just because, don't, I don't get because,
0: it. I mean, that's, you know, like you did all of this and you've been working so hard on this team and boom. A lightning strikes, and and the Brooklyn Nets were able to figure out a super team that's going to take them to an NBA championship, and, and and you're still sitting sitting on the outside looking in. That's I, that's not a good look, Ryan.
1: Oh, I think it's you such a losing mentality. It, yeah, I don't. I, I it would not even like one. If I were working the Celtics, there wouldn't be one second I would waste on going. do you guys see the Brooklyn standings? Like this is going to be even worse for us. The, your goal is your goal, and and Durant going to Brooklyn. This is why I I love not doing talk radio anymore. Or maybe I should be doing it again because this maybe. is this is mind-blowing to me that you would you would go, "You know what? Can we find another way to make it suck worse?" <laughs> yes, we can. Here we go.
0: Uh, pulling the magic out of the hat. That's what we like to do. Listen, there's like 12 months out of the year and a lot of this even during football season with the Patriots. I don't even want to talk about the fucking Patriots right now. That's Whoa, how angry that I am about this team. Yeah. But like, I mean, even even during football season, no one was even talking about the Patriots, you know. So you got to think about it's the it's the Brady Belichick narratives. It's what they're going to do next year. And now it's just all hyper focused on Celtics basketball. So if someone sneezes, it's going to be all over the headlines in Boston. So, you know, you should be glad that you're on the outside looking in or that you don't have an earpiece. Your earpiece. To the, t- to the city of Boston. Finishing up, I know I always like to do this. i probably just save the segment for Friday, but I like to do this, all feelings, no facts. Um, basically, it's a, like a nice take on a hot take. All feelings, no facts. The Buffalo Bills get scarier and more intimidating every single week. They are one of the scariest teams in the NFL right now, and you can't deny it. What Brian Dable who, by the way, is a Belichick disciple, calling the plays offensive coordinator up there in Buffalo with their JV squad. And granted, the Miami Dolphins, they were missing a lot of pieces. They didn't have Kyle Van Noy, and I don't really know if Tua Tungavello is going to be the guy there and quarterback. Very shaky on offense and a lot of those plays, and they kind of were pretty combustible without Ryan to Fitzpatrick, but th- the Bills had their JV squad out there. And they absolutely destroyed this team. 56 to 26. I mean, Josh Allen had three touchdowns in the first half. They scored four straight touchdowns in the second quarter. Like every single week, we say, okay, Josh Allen has turned the corner. This is an exciting Buffalo Bills statement. And then, boom, in week 17, we saw something like that. Pulling guys up the practice squad. You want to talk about practice squad guys? And, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, pittsburgh steelers going after tom Brady. i mean they got practice squad guys like antonio williams coming off and you know making big runs and um I, to me the defense has gotten stronger that was their weak point they rested Tradavius white in that last game I, i'm i'm not I, i'm kind of i'm debating i'm kind of vacillating between the baltimore ravens and the buffalo bills but they might be my surefire pick to make the Super Bowl right now because it is, it's it's unbelievable the the type of football and the level of football that they're playing right now.
1: I can't believe what happened with Josh Allen. I mean, uh, there were moments last year where you know the Thanksgiving game he was good, so I thought like, yeah if you just watch the Thanksgiving game and then he had that throw against New England, it kind of made it feel like they were down at the very last minute, and you're like, I don't know. That's not really what I saw from him. I I kept looking at somebody that I felt a little bit like Mitch Trubisky, where I go, this guy's going to be looking for another job in a couple years. And now he's incredible. He's incredible. And I... Normally, after two years, you you probably know who your quarterback is going to be. Yeah, and I thought I thought we knew. I mean, I you know the most of the arguments are based on no, no, no. What what are you talking about? So, like, do you actually think Josh Allen's going to be really good, or are you emotionally attached to the Bills and you're hoping that you're right? So that's why you're going to argue that he's going to be really good. And he's been he's been a completely different guy. uh Every number will tell you that. The beginning of the season, then he had a little bit of a dip, and I'm like, oh, we're going to have a bit of a correction here. People figuring him out, and then he takes right off again. So the Bills' defense, you know, it's It's not. It's it's better, you know, because there are times. Saying it's
0: not perfect, but
1: no, and I don't know if it's strictly, you know, sometimes it's as simple as like, hey, it's the schedule, stupid. Um, But when you look at some of the stuff they're going through, like they're not, they're still top ten against the run. They're like borderline a top ten defense here, but they played a string of teams that you would think we're going to struggle at least somewhat offensively. I mean, including New England in this, so. Yeah, let's go through it. Yeah. Miami and I, I'm with you. I love Tua in college. I love him coming out. This I does not look sure. even
0: I'm not sure he's got it. And you know what? There were a doesn't couple doesn't look like people, him. No, there are a couple of people who are doing which pissed me off because I was like, What are you talking about? Everyone in Miami, they're not gonna take him. They were talking about them taking Zach Wilson, third overall. You know, or like who the hell would do that? You know, this is this is a one quarterback. They're gonna ride with this guy, and that's typical of everything. I mean, he's got a bright future, but I'm just not really so sure he can be as successful as a quarterback in the, in the NFL. It's kind of it's
1: it's too early for me to give up on him because I've watched all I'm of those not Bama him. games. I'm not up I, on him. I saw it, you know. I've seen it in person.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm very surprised how little they trust him. But maybe he's done nothing to gather, you know, gain that trust because the goal line stuff that they run, like you yeah. can tell. They just they just don't really seem to trust him. They even brought it up in the broadcast, Courtney, where it was Chan Gailey. He's like, hey, we run our offense and we do the best to try to set our guys up. I was like, so you basically have no faith in this guy whatsoever. Like, that's yeah. crazy to me.
0: Well, Ryan, um, remember too that Chan Gailey was brought in because he was Ryan Fitzpatrick's guy. And that was Fitzpatrick's offense. And that was something that was similar that to, to help to a kind of acquiesce to a new system. And who knew how long it was going to take them to have them as a starter? So- whether or not Changeli stays, whether or not they kind of switch up their, their protocol um, and their offensive scheme there, it's, you know, the dinosaur man is he's, he's got to change his stripes a little bit. If he's going to help this kid get better as a quarterback in the league. Don't you agree? I mean, it's whether or not they're going to change their offensive core. I mean, I I would, I would. Well, something has to change because
1: the the great thing with Tua was, his manipulation of guys down the field. And I brought mm-hmm. this up the other day. Like that throw he had against Georgia to win the national championship when he came in for Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Like I go, Oh, that's right. Like that's one of the greatest throws in college football history. And it's this deep shot where he, he shakes a safety away on this one-on-one, times it up perfectly. And I go, That's that's right. Like I don't get to see that anymore. And I know this could be stay-I mean, I can I could look it up here if I want to. I guess I'll just do it to see if it's still true. But when I was looking at the Dolphins uh pass catching stats uh was number one in yards per catch like that's that's a problem yeah if if he's not i think it's uh well now it's preston williams who's had only 18 catches so like the guy they actually go to i mean Devontae parker's numbers are down so it could be personnel it could be them not trusting him he's so good on those slants he's accurate he's decisive he had all of these things that i really thought could make him a really good quarterback in this league and it has been bad it's it's been really bad so
0: it, the one last thing I'll say about that and then I'll let you go is that I mean for anyone to come in and say oh well you know he doesn't really have the weapons on offense who does in this league like th- th- that kind of mentality like, not, you know, you know, oh yeah I mean like literally Tom Brady who ordered and demanded that he have all the toys in the book who really has the best weapons to make their offense succeed I mean like this thing like Oh, well, you know, he's not, I mean, good quarterbacks, they make. Um, yeah, but it's brownies. tough when you're young. Uh, you... poop. I mean, do you know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Like they make good things out of.
1: He are watching too much Brady, I think.
0: Right? I <laughs> mean, okay. Um, um uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, yeah, he made DK Metcalf. He made Tyler Lockett. And, you know, you're not going to get those uh, gangba- gangbusters wide receivers like when you make a trade in Buffalo for Stephon Diggs. And you got a revision, you know, a revival, career revival of Sammy Watkins. But like anyone that's going to go in there and say, I, what we saw what happened in, in Philadelphia, it wasn't the offense and the offensive weapons that was the issue. It was Carson Wentz, the quarterback. So, uh, I mean, yeah, get him some more offense, get him some more weapons. But I mean, to me, it just seems like this kid is young. He's up and coming, and he just needs a big target. Who doesn't love a big tight end?
1: Well, we know they love him out there in New England. So
0: yeah.
1: that's been his number one guy is, is the tight end from Penn State, and I just think he needs a little bit more. If you're asking a young kid to come in, and you know, Brady, Brady did it. Like Brady was propping up all these bad personnel decisions. Yeah, that's that's what's crazy about it. You can't ask you can't ask a rookie to do that. So yeah. Brady was good enough to figure out everything at pre-snap, and then they get into those those quick routes right off the line of scrimmage, the slot guy, and, and Brady just you know th- that was that was handing it off for him. And it's 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 hard, it's almost impossible to expect any rookie to come in and be able to do that kind of stuff.
0: Clearly, he is not a system quarterback, as we all had assumed. Ryan Rosillo, the great Ryan Rosillo, where can we catch you? Give me some plugs.
1: Yeah, just uh, the Ryan Rosillo podcast, at the Ringer part of uh Spotify. So there you go.
0: I really appreciate you coming on the show and helping me out, giving me some giving me some big twenty twenty one clout. <laughs> I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, no problem. I uh hopefully, you know, keep me updated on everything. I know you will on everything and uh this upcoming year. And I appreciate the time. Thanks for hanging yeah.
0: out. Thank you. First first flight out to LA when I can, I'm out there. That's, all right. Sounds that's, good. That's, all right. Thanks, Ryan. man that was fun that was so much fun thank you so much to ryan rusillo and i wanted to end the show with kind of something i wanted to do for a while it's three articles or three audio clips it's that you need to hear from the weekend first one is this podcast i think that everyone who loves a show needs to share it with a friend just do that do that for me do that for us from me to you love you the second one is dan levitar leaving espn what a heartfelt note that he had on his Twitter page. And I'm just going to kind of allude to that because it's pretty long and I don't have the time to kind of clip it up and cut it for you. But uh, Dan Lebitard and Highly Questionable has been a mainstay show on ESPN2 for the last 10 years. And I didn't even realize that it's been on there for 10 years. But the original set, it's fantastic. It's basically like an old school kitchen. And they'd have random guys like Isaiah Thomas who'd be sitting and walking through the kitchen, getting coffee and just walking out. Chris Bosh, uh, man, he had some sort of an impasse with ESPN over the last couple of weeks that he left tremendous talent. I have to tip my cap to how unbelievably talented and people forget about this. Dan Lebitard was a mainstay at the Miami Herald. I, he is such a brilliant, poignant, talented writer. Some of his articles and his words might bring you to tears, especially the ones that he writes about his father being a Cuban defector, and you know, living in Miami for three years and working for a local TV in Miami. Uh, you, we got to know a lot of the people and a lot of that crew that was on that show, Stu Gotts, and I've spent many, not many, I would say a handful of basketball games sitting next to Poppy, and uh, you know how just how genuine he is. How genuine, how intelligent. And I have to tip my cap to Dan Lebitard. And he got very emotional when signing off on that show and thanking everyone for everything that he has done with that program over the last 10 years. So that's my second one. The last one comes from a fan of the show. He was a guest a couple of weeks back. I mean, listen, I got to bring him back now, but I'm sure that his book is going to be filled the fuck up. Nick Costas of Radio.com. They call him Little Alex Jones. Is that the right... That's the right word, John? John's shaking his head. Little Alex Jones. I mean, he is like the most obnoxious guy, but he's just so New York. I I love him to death, and this rant about the New York Giants, and I knew that he was going to get fired up, and we didn't even talk about it because it's just... It's ad nauseum. I I mean, listening to WFAN and the clips of people calling into those radio stations right now, the war between Philly and New York is hot. It can be sliced like a hot and butter knife. Nick Costas went on his radio show and he had this rant and it just perfectly encapsulated everything about a New York Giants fan. And it's so brilliant. I watched it like five times before I went to bed. So I'm going to end off the show
2: with this rant. And you'll thank me later. We'll see you on Friday. Thanks for listening to Bad Signal. And people want to get in my mentions. When my team, I don't care if they won six games. I don't care if they won 11 games. I don't care if they won zero games. When my team's got a chance to make the playoffs and it's taken away from us on some bullshit, I'm going to get pissed but people are be like, oh, but your team only won six games. I don't fucking care. Think about this. The Patriots fans that want to criticize Bill Belichick. You've got Bears fans that want to defend Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy. There are my fellow Giants fans that will still defend the drafting of a running back at second overall because fans can be dumb. And guess what? Last night, I wanted to be dumb. I got sucked into it because I love this team and I've loved them my entire life. And I cruelly had it taken away from me at the very end. And People want to say, oh, but your team only won six games. Fuck you. You would feel the same way if you were me. How could you be a fan and expect me or any other Giants fan to feel any differently than we did last night that is absolutely infuriating and like you don't play on the team either people would have oh well we did this like Eagles fans oh we screwed you you didn't do anything you sat on your couch like I did you're not an athlete we did nothing I didn't go six and ten you didn't go four and eleven and one you weren't the one that pulled Jalen Hurts I wasn't the one that dropped the pass at the end of the game I'm just a dude who loves." sports, who loves his team, who wanted to crack open a beer on Saturday night and watch my team play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady in the playoffs, and I had it taken away from me. So piece of shit number one are all the holier than thou scumbags out there that want to criticize me for being a fan. Guess what? Fans are irrational and I reserve the right to be irrational sometimes, especially when my team gets screwed out of the playoffs by a slapdick, clown, fraud-ass motherfucker head coach like piece of shit number two.